Near Tokyo is going to change soon. What'd you do? You weird little... This boy's pattern is the key to solving the riddle of Akira's growth pattern process. I don't know who that is! If this situation gets out of hand, then he's to be terminated. Kanada, what the hell's going on? The plan is in place already. Don't do it! We get to meet Akira again. What? Akira? If you push yourself, you might do irreparable damage! From legendary director Katsuhiro Otomo comes one of the greatest animated films of all time. Akira. Caleb, you'd be glad to know there's titties in this movie. Briefly, yes. It's not in a good way, though. No, it's very shaming, no. actually. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, and it's not in the way that I would like. It's not in the way that I want to see some boobies. No, it's like 15-year-old Caleb saw him and was like, oh, oh, no, like sad erection time. Yeah, confused boner. Mm-hmm, very. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I would... You know, I'm just very interested uh, in hearing you talk about this movie because I don't think we've ever actually talked about this movie. No, we haven't talked about it. We talk about anime occasionally. I recommend things and you generally ignore me. Um, and then like a year later, watch them and go like, have you guys seen this thing? It's amazing. And I go, yeah, I told you about it like a year ago. You go, oh, yeah. Yeah. That's how it generally works. Um, but, you know, this is the the one anime I think everyone who's a fan of anime has seen um or at least that can claim you know street cred this is a street cred movie yeah. this is a this is an art house street cred movie so let's let's talk about why that is here in a second guys ladies gentlemen children of all ages it is time for me to smack my microphone with my hat i guess it is <laughs> geek squatch time you already know what it is folks it's the podcast all about 80s and 90s nerd nostalgia i'm alex hirsch and this is the summer of anime. Ka Datsuai Me. I am Sailor Moon, the champion of justice. Ka. Omae wa mou shindeiru. We talk about anime all fucking summer, yo. <laughs> well, at least for a month or so. Yeah, I'll talk about anime all summer. Hit me up on Twitter. You know where to find me. Uh, the other voice you hear 
as always, is Caleb McAllister from California itself, which I would argue is probably, um, I mean, maybe Hawaii is actually probably the, the real place, but mainland US, I would say California is probably like the birthplace of Western anime, right? Like this is where, like it all had to come through you guys, right? Yeah, you know, that's an interesting thing. I never really uh, thought of it that way. But yeah, I mean, anime probably hit here first um, and then was distributed throughout the U.S. um, from the West Coast. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it, I know a lot of the resurgence came through, uh, you know, a lot lot of it was just, you know, sort of brought through Hawaii and stuff like that, um, you know, due to its proximity to Japan. But yeah. we saw a lot of anime coming through California studios, um, California animation studios, but also like even like Seattle. Um, and weirdly enough, I think we talked about this in our Dragon Ball Z episode, but also Austin, Texas. Um, but like the East Coast, I guess because we are quite literally on the exact opposite side of the planet. Um, like we just we were latecomers, even in like cities and stuff like that. Like we were latecomers to that sort of first anime wave, you know, outside of uh Maybe what you found on your Saturday morning cartoons, your speed racers and stuff, you know. Um, did you guys have Suncoast Video on the East Coast? Yeah. Because that's yeah. really where, like, you could find some deep cut, you know, anime. Out here for the longest time, um, you know, I mean, I'm a product of a more modern environment than a lot of people, even a lot of people probably listening. I mean, I my the older I get, the more I realize I think my childhood was actually during the 2000s. Like, I was, I turned 12 in December of 99 or whatever it is, you know what I mean? So, like... Uh, a lot of my childhood that I, or my adolescence, I guess, uh, was entirely in the two thousands. And that's typically when you get really into anime beyond like just watching something that's around or on TV, you know, and Suncoast was the thing for me because it was the only place out here that actually sold it, you know? And I was actually an early comer out here. Like I was an early adopter of anime in like the early nineties due to just some very strange and happenstance events. But, uh, yeah, Suncoast, man, that's, Rest in fucking peace. <laughs> yeah, Suncoast and probably your local um, comic book shop, if if they were hip enough, and a lot yeah. of them weren't, so it was very hit or miss. I remember, you know, comic book shops were really weird as a kid because you could go into one and find the titles you were looking for, and then there'd mm-hmm. be weird things. There'd be manga, there'd be anime, or other things like like action figures and then other ones is just literally US American Marvel DC right. comics. You'll you'll walk into some and it's Marvel DC and Magic the Gathering and then you'll walk into others and it's that but also like Grant Morrison, you know what I mean, and anime and shit like that. Um yeah, my uh <laughs> my comic shop that I went to when I was a young kid, um the only time I really ever had like a shop, I guess, before I before I really settled down out here. Um was I think they were called River City Comics, maybe? It was in Roanoke City. Um, and you got to understand that I'm talking about a time when I was maybe like seven or eight years old. But they had a big wall in the back. Uh, and this would have been like 96 or something like that, 97. Um, they had a big wall in the back that was just all manga. And like some anime DVDs and stuff like that. And some of it had the had the black covers over mm-hmm. the front, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, but the whole wall was called Japanimation, which is one of my favorite things in the entire world. Is like the pre- before the understanding of what anime was and people were just like, it's animation from Japan, Japan animation, obviously. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah, I remember it was kind of an insult. Uh, people would be like, are you into that Japan animation crap? And I'm like, and it's like, yeah, dog, they got fucking cyborgs and titties. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. 
yes, I am. But like, you're trying not to sound like a pervert about it. Yeah, I always leaned hard into it. I'm like, they got blood. They got fighting, like real fighting. They got titties. They got robots. They blow up the world like anime rules. And everybody would be like, you know, okay, man. But like, have you seen the new adventures of Johnny Quest? And I'm like, yeah, that's also pretty good because it's all in VR. And I don't understand that. Um, anyway, kicking off the summer of anime is I thought that we could do now we've covered anime before on the show. I mean, obviously, um, we, you know, what else did we do? I know we did Dragon Ball Z. Did we do anything else? Um, I think it was just Dragon Ball. We've talked about a lot of anime. Um, oh, we did do Sailor Moon episode, which is if that's true. If you want like a completely like a lot of people I've seen say your formats all over the place or whatever. I'm like, well, yeah, because every subject I think deserves a slightly different approach. Um, the Sailor Moon episode in particular is very interesting and long because it was hosted by my wife and then yes. Petra Cat, a friend had, of ours, yeah, with Petra Cat, yeah. yeah, joined us. So we've got uh, like two ladies talking about this anime who are absolutely in love with it. And then me kind of playing like just the token guy. And were you there for that? I was there for that yeah. as I remember. And so, I also remember I geeked the fuck out over some Sailor Moon. Yeah, we, we were having, it was, it's a great conversation. I, I had a lot of fun on that episode. I, I I love Sailor Moon and I will defend it to the death. Uh, I felt that it was important to kick off our our anime block, I guess, uh, of coverage with what I consider to be. I'm going to say it. I consider this movie to be the best animated film of all time. I think it is the single best animated, as in the action of animating, mm-hmm. film of all time. And I would say that as an animated movie, not with it specifically within the confines of uh, anime, I think as an animated movie, it is a contender for, it belongs on a top 50 list, uh, I would say of like a critical list. Um, my personal, it's, it's, it's much, much higher than that. Um, but yeah, we are talking about 1988's Akira. It's not called Tetsuo? No, no, or... Canada, which, yeah, which like, yeah, uh, this movie, I feel like, I feel like this movie really like, uh, like, like brought forth that trope in the biggest, most powerful way of people just yelling names in anime. Oh yeah. Yeah. This is a trope. There's a lot of tropes from this, specifically the yelling and the biker look, uh, and telekinesis. I think kind of got a huge yeah. bump in, in popular culture from this film, which is which is an interesting thing. Cause I mean, the action sequences near the last third, the third act of this film are legendary in the anime circles. Like they, they kind of set the bar for everyone else. Yeah. And they go so far past anime. If you're listening to the show and you haven't seen it or, um, you know, you don't really consider yourself a fan or maybe you're a fair weather fan of anime. You watched some Toonami back in the day or something. That's fine. Um, you will see, if you go back and watch this movie, you will see its fingerprint on movies all across, like all across all genres of, uh, anything that's remotely action, sci-fi, cyberpunk, anything like that. You're, you're going to see its thumbprint is on, I mean, fucking dark city, mm-hmm. dark city's telekinetic battle is fucking 100% some Acura shit. You oh know? yeah, definitely. Um, I think a lot of that's owed to probably to the that sort of like 70s through all the way up until basically like the early 90s, that obsession with the that resurgence of the mystical, right? There's sort of your Yuri Geller kind of bullshit, um, your postmodern paranoia like we talked about in Dark City coming to a head uh, during the 80s and 90s. 
uh, with people not trusting the government, not trusting like government facilities and secret experiments and stuff like that. Like that kind of shit really blew up around that decade and a half or so. And then the, the interesting part of the Japanese perspective, because you have the the remembrance of World War II and you know two nuclear blasts going off, you know, on Japanese soil and what that did to the psyche of the Japanese people, like also affecting this movie because it opens with that. I mean, it's it's mm-hmm. right in your face, right in the beginning, and you don't know what what the explosion is. You you know, it just evokes those memories, uh, which is not as powerful for us, but it's extremely powerful for them. And it happens twice, not just once, but twice in this film. It does. Um, and I'm trying to find the name of it, but I have a little tidbit of information that you may not know. You know Akira's chamber that he's in, right? Mm-hmm. The big, the, the dome chamber with all the cool like valves and, and you know, shit like that. Um, the very first atomic bomb ever created, um, it's the exact same type of bomb as the Fat Man. Uh, but the very first one, let me see if I can pull this up really quick. It was Fat Man and Little Boy? No, I mean, yes, that's what it was, but um, no, this one was called, oh, I think it was called the Trinity, actually. No, it's called Gadget. If you look up the Gadget, the first atomic bomb, um, that's literally all you need to type. There's a, w- a website here, Rare Historical Photos, which has a really good photo, but there's a ton of other pictures you can find online. That is Oculus Chamber. Like, <laughs> take a second and look at that, Caleb. I've linked it in our chat here. It is, like, that's what it is, you know? So, to play to your point there, I mean, the influence of... World War II, wow. the atomic age, the dropping of the bombs, um, you know, it's it's almost sophomoric in its uh in its presence, you know, and the fact that it's like so in your face, but it's also very uh I think it's handled very well, you know, and the theme is within the confines of this world is is super fucking interesting because it plays on the idea of these bombs being dropped, uh then in nineteen eighty eight there is uh, Lord Akira rises, right? And he goes fucking nuclear and destroys Tokyo, you know? So you're talking 1988 happens. Um, Japan has experienced its resurgence uh, as it did in real life. They are a, a, they're, they're a power. They're a city. You know what I mean? They're, they're one of the largest uh, manufacturing places in the entire world, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Everyone remembers thinking that, you know, in the late 80s and 20 years, we'll be, all be speaking Japanese, right? I mean, that was like that was like a real mentality people had. Akira explodes, destroys Tokyo. You now have Neo Tokyo uh, in the year 2019, where this movie is actually set. Which is really weird to be one year away from that now. Not even. Yeah, doubly weird when the uh, backdrop is the fact that Tokyo is hosting the Olympic Games in 2020, and they're also doing that in real life yeah. now, which is crazy to me. Um, if they don't, if the Olympic Games do not open with fucking <laughs> Kaneda riding that fucking bike into the, holding the Olympic yeah. torch, like I, dude. If they don't do that, like I'm, 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 well, I'll just be disappointed and I won't, I probably won't watch the Olympics either way, but I'm just saying that's a missed opportunity. Um, but the point is like looking at what Neo Tokyo is, you can, the crater of old Tokyo is still there. Neo Tokyo has been built up sort of near and around that. Um, and it gives this, this feeling of, of overcrowding and, uh, Neo Tokyo is, is, a very successful, a very metropolitan place, but it's also overrun with crime um, and, and biker gangs and murder and espionage. And it's just a really interesting thing that this, this new city sprouted up and it's so incredibly overcrowded and, and dense that these people are going fucking stir crazy, you know? Well, it's not only that, but there's political oppression. There are people who are trying to rebel against the, the government. 
Um, it's got right. it's got really weird, like current feel to it mm-hmm. that I wasn't expecting. Yeah, you've got these you've got these zaibatsus influencing um, the sort of council that's running the the government now in Japan, um, and so they are the people are at odds with the government in a very big way. Like, I mean, this, this movie opens up with derelict super future city, um, you know, or super future city with very derelict parts of it. Uh, political backdrop of just utter fucking dissidence and, and anger, uh, biker gang bullshit and bullshit and fucking explosions. <laughs> like, yeah, it's kind of all the shit you need in cyberpunk, right? Like it's literally that. And our main characters are also orphan boys who the only family they have are each other. And their whole goal in life apparently is to beat up rival gangs. Like they have no interest. They don't even seem to have an interest in women, which is kind of fascinating for like yeah. 15, 16 year old boys. Yeah. I mean, kind of, kind of like he's portrayed as like a skirt chaser. You know, they call him like a skirt chaser in the, in the, in the movie. And in the manga, he has a very deep relationship with Kay. Um, do they look well, like they're twins in the book? I haven't read the manga in a long they time. Look, they look pretty close. They look pretty close. I mean, that's you can tell them apart, but they look close enough. Uh, that's that's also a very big issue in this movie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Tetsuo, uh, Tetsuo's relationship with oh god, I'm gonna forget her name now. But the relationship with her in the manga is very different. Kiori. There you go. Um. So Kaori in the manga is one of many, which we're going to get into the differences here in a minute, uh, you know, here in a little while. But uh, one of the major differences in the manga is her role. She is like, she's brought into Tetsuo's harem as this sex slave, right? And uh, she's like, she's discovered by someone and someone's basically like, you, you look good. You're you're part of the harem now. Um, and she's like a sex slave for Tetsuo who is riding high on his sort of godlike powers under Lord Akira. Um, and then she's also, she plays this dual role of like Tetsuo sort of struggling with his adolescence and also these newfound powers and all these things. And she plays this role of kind of like a, a, a matronly figure at times when he's really breaking down and unable to figure out how to handle himself. And she's kind of there for these really quiet moments to just kind of hold him and be present. You know what I mean? Hmm. Um, it's a weird, it's a weird thing. Uh, I guess I'm not really sure how I wanted to structure the show because there's a lot to say about what this is. And I don't think, I don't think we're, I don't think we need to do a separate episode for the manga, right? Like that's, that's kind of crazy. It's like 2000 pages. I'm not interested in in that. I mean, I mean, it's good. Don't get me wrong, but it's, I I would also argue that it is one of the best things ever committed to print material. (laughs) Like I am, I am a fucking fucking diehard on this shit. Um, Here's what I'll say. Akira the movie and the manga for anyone listening. And this is a good, probably jumping off point for us to actually really, really start talking about this thing. Don't worry. We're only like 20 minutes in. <laughs> yep. Uh huh. <laughs> oh, you're fuck. You done fucking signed up for an Alex Hirsch interest TM. Like you are here for a while. I'm sorry. Um, so both entries, the film and the print are actually both like the prime material. They're, they're both like the source material because what had happened was, uh, Akira was optioned for a movie, but this was like three and a half, four years into its production as a manga. Right. So it had been being uh, produced in a magazine called, uh, young jump, I think, um, in Japan. 
And it was coming out monthly, I believe, uh, with these issues, et cetera, et cetera. It's very popular. It's very heady. It's it's a sign of the times, um, you know, the sort of kind of cyberpunk near future aesthetic thing that was going on in the late 80s. Um, so it gets option for a movie. They do it, right? Katsuhiro Otomo was like, sure, I'll do a movie. I never thought that this would be a thing that could be a movie, but sure. Uh, so they do that. It is, at the time the highest budget animated film ever made not just in anime but in the world it was like 40 million right it's a budget of 10 million dollars okay uh at the time it was 1.1 billion yen um and it made just in case anyone's curious because i know some people like the numbers um it ended up making back 49 million worldwide that number's weird because that's that's before anime was popular in the west in any way like this movie is actually sort of very much credited with bringing anime to the West, um, like in its entirety, uh, during that second wave in the eighties and nineties and what really made anime explode and paved the way for things like Dragon Ball and Pokemon and everything else. So that number I haven't researched. That is Wikipedia's number. And that's just full disclosure on that one, because I don't know how much money this movie's made. It could potentially be a lot more than that. Oh, I think um, now is way I don't, th- I don't think it's less, but I think it is fucking way more. Cause that number seems to me like the worldwide theatrical release profit in the box office. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I feel like money from VHS sales alone, this movie literally founded the studio, the VHS sales for this movie, by the way, literally founded the studio that brought the shit over here. The same studio that brought us ghost in the shell, ninja, the same studio that brought us ninja scroll. Yeah, dude. Like it's, this movie's important. So, um, where do you want to start? Caleb, I don't really want to do a whole plot outline, but I, or a whole plot like summary, but I think maybe an outline is probably good. But where do you, where do you want to go in on this? I think we need to talk about like just a generalized plot. Like we'll try to do like a, a radio, like, like an elevator pitch. Um, not as detailed as right, my man. Dune one. That was a little too long, but like just like the, the real quick hits because it, the movie plot is complicated, but also at the same time, it's not. And, and mm. you know, on my, this is my fifth watching probably for this show. And I just realized that like, I, Jamie watched it with me. She's never seen it before. She could not figure out what was going on. But the same, but for me, watching it, I was like, it, things are starting to pop back in my in my, mem- in my memory about it. And I was like, okay, I know what's going on, but it's just not conveyed very well. We'll, we'll talk about why that is. Yeah. Well, really quick, I wanted to say, because yeah. I, I lost my point in the thing. So my point was, these are both, both the print and the film are the prime material because this thing was being produced monthly. It was, you know, two or three books into a what ended up being a six book series before production on the movie started. Now, here's a tidbit of information for you. The reason these are both prime material is because the ending of the movie was finished before the ending of the manga. The manga uh, completed in 1990, I believe. So the movie was influenced by the manga, but the manga's ending was influenced by the way the movie ended. Do you know who spoke with Katsuhiro Otomo to influence the way? That this shit ended? Do you know who helped him along with the ending of this fucking thing? I do not. Yodorovsky. No way. Alejandro Yodorovsky. Yeah, dude. Yeah. No way. Isn't that crazy? Dude, like, see, this is why I love this show. Because we see all these connections of things in the past that we had no idea as kids that we liked. You know what I mean? And and all the, the, the world is a small place, especially even in the 80s. Like, it's still pretty small. And so yeah. these people knew each other. Yeah, pre-internet age, it's like everyone who did anything cool. I actually spent the entire time... I didn't know that until today. I spent the entire time watching this movie today 
thinking to myself, coming fresh off of Dune, coming fresh off of watching that Yudorovsky, um uh, documentary and stuff like that. And I was really sitting back thinking like, fuck, I bet he would love this. Like, I bet he would love this shit. Um, and I'm sure he's seen it, you know, and I'm thinking this, I'm like, he's got, he has to have seen it by now. Like he's kicking around, he's doing things. He's a fan. And he of loves art. anime. He works in comics and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. He loves anime and shit. So I was like, he's, he's gotta have seen this. He's, I wonder what his opinions are. Sure enough, I looked it up and it was like fucking some, uh, written interview. Otomo, the director, <laughs> the writer, the creator was like, oh yeah, I spoke with Yodorovsky during the, uh, ending, like the filming of the fucking movie. And he influenced how the movie ended, which influenced how the manga ended. So quite literally somehow dude this half uh what is he half ukrainian half chilean guy has influenced one of the most popular japanese one of the most important japanese pieces of fiction ever created dude that guy is a trip he's such a weird dude but he's like he's like forrest gump for art yeah yeah that's actually not a bad uh analogy so let's let's break down the plot because i think that like yes i think that people are really intimidated by this movie and it is, and you should be. And you should be. It is very layered. I think it's a kind of a rite of pat- passage to watch it and to understand it. But like, ultimately, the A surface storyline is pretty easy to understand. And you want me to do it or do you want to do it? Uh, You know what? I've been talking a lot, man. You go for okay. it. Okay. So basically, Alex already set you up. We're in Neo Tokyo after Tokyo has been uh, destroyed by a mysterious explosion, which led to World War Three. We open up on a weird little blue boy that looks like an old man and the guy who's taking him through the crowds gets shot up and 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 he just the little boy has this like a kinetic explosion telekinetic explosion screams disappears then we're introduced to our main characters Kaneda and Tetsuo who are youth biker gang guys they end up getting into a fight with a rival gang um and and they're the main story so basically like um, Tetsuo goes off on his own and gets hurt. All his friends come and surround him. Um, the reason he gets hurt is because of this. He accidentally almost runs into this blue old boy, literally a child that looks like an old man. Um, and then the army shows up, takes Tetsuo away because he's injured, and they do experiments on him. And that opens up his latent psychic ability. Hell yeah. They don't really ever explain, at least in the anime, what they do to him but apparently they they activate his aura and tap into his latent psychic abilities um he escapes uh they get him back then he escapes again and he meets the the other little old people who try to kill him and then his powers go crazy just absolutely nuts um, at this point, Canada has found him with his new girlfriend and the rivalry that they've always kind of had under the surface really explodes. And and that's when you really learn that this movie is about these two young men and their relationship towards each other, um, which is both hateful, vengeful, but also it's obvious that they love each other um, mm-hmm. very, very much. It's very sophomoric. This film, like, as you said ear- earlier, like it seems deep, but in reality, and, and it is in some cases, but in reality, it's just about two friends um, who both hate each other and love each other, which is kind of a weird thing. But I think a lot of guys kind of identify with that. Sure. So then T- uh, Tetsuo gets this. He keeps hearing this voice in his head that's talking about Akira. He doesn't know what it is until he sees the old blue people 
they tell him that Akira is coming and he's more powerful. And at this point, Tetsuo has lost his mind due to his powers. At least that's my interpretation of what's happened to him. And he goes off to find Akira and in the process kills a whole bunch of people. And he finds Akira and Akira's dead. Been dissected because he caused the explosion, which led to World War Three. And nobody knows this. This is like, you know, except for the government. No, none of the civilians know why World War Three was started. And so from there, Tetsuo loses his mind, loses control of his powers. And the three old children end up praying to Akira or connecting to him mentally and bringing him back from the dead to do another explosion and kill. Well, apparently kill Tetsuo. That's the way it looks. But Kaneda gets sucked in as well at this point. And we learn that. Um, the three the three old children go in as well, although they, they tell you that they can't come back. They say, you know, if we go into this explosion, we can't come back. But the reason that, that this explosion happens is it's basically a transcendence um, for Tetsuo and the three old children to another plane of existence brought to them through Akira's power. So this destruction, which ultimately destroys, again, all of Neo Tokyo all over again, is also rebirth. And I think this is probably the most confusing part of the film because this is the way it ends is like, you know, you see Kaneda and he's survived and he kind of grasps this node of energy, the last bit of Akira and Tetsuo and the, and the other psychic children. And he's kind of, he's crying, you know, cause he's lost his friend, but kind of the other side of the coin is that, his friend has transcended to another plane. It's like the next evolution of humanity. And, and you see these shots where you're going into like membranes and then into, into deeper into cells. And then all of a sudden you're in space. It's very Kubrick in the end, which I think mm-hmm. is also kind of um, unsatisfying for a lot of people because they don't get what happened. Right. And I, and I think that's why like people who are not into artistic films, you're, if you're not into Kubrick, you're not into, um, Aronofsky, which this movie, you know, now today reminds me of a lot of what Darren Aronofsky does. And he's a huge anime fan. So it's not super surprising, um, does. And, and there it's, it's that imagery in film doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be dialogue. You can show things and, and say things that convey messages that are deeper than, what they appear to be on the surface. And so this whole movie that, you know, we, we talked about the action sequences and, and, and the, the B stories and the C stories, which are also happening throughout this whole plot. But like, ultimately speaking, this is an art film. Not only is it like art in and of itself. I mean, you were talking about how this is like the best animation ever. And I, I would agree. Like the detail in this film is insane. Like, look to speak to that, like, not only did they shoot, uh, as as they call, was it like one on one or one for one? Where so what they did was a lot of animated films. You know, film. So film is typically uh, put forth at twenty four frames a second, right? So this film is twenty four frames a second, but a lot of anime films will uh, either skip or interpolate or um, you know sort of stagger the amount of animation that needs to be done. This film and others have done this as well, but this film has one frame for every 24 frames in every second, 
You see what I'm saying? Yeah. They literally went that deep on it. And the thing is, is also it is masterful artwork. <laughs> like it is, it, this is a masterclass in art. They created new colors in animation for this movie. Colors that had never been used before. Now, obviously you can't create new colors because it's all a spectrum of light and wavelengths and all that. But uh, 50 new colors were created for use in animation specifically for this movie. This movie used more colors on its palette than any other movie in history. Like, this is the most artistic thing. This is one of the most artistic things that has probably ever been created, in my opinion. Like, I, I am I'm deep on this one. I mean, they animated perspective. You know, per- perspective shots where where the camera actually tightens in on Tetsuo. There's a shot where he's, you know, mm-hmm. he's cringing because he's, he's just had the, the motorcycle accident and he's laying on the ground. And his back is just spasming out of control because he's in, in intense pain. And they're slowly inching in on him. And that was not done with the lens of the camera, you know, or uh, the film. It was done drawing by drawing, sheet by sheet, moving in ever so slightly on him. Yeah. I think the scene that makes me kind of kind of like raise my eyebrows like wow every time is the scene in which uh Tetsu is sitting on his his stone throne and the uh he sort of summons up that bionic uh sort of uh uh inorganic arm that he has right and that scene itself when the arm forms is really fucking cool I mean you could you could you could teach a class in animation just based on that 4 seconds of of film but the part that I really like is when he steps away from the throne, when he sort of tears himself away, mm-hmm. and you can see all of the wiring and the steel and the mesh sort of coming out of the of the stone arm and shit. Like, it is just, someone did that shit. Some, some group of people, likely, sat down and drew every one of those wires. Yep. You know what I mean? Like, people talk about Studio Ghibli, people talk about Miyazaki, um, and, that, and that, that outfit as being sort of like the... Uh, sort of the the pinnacle of of artistic anime bullshit right and it is i mean it's look i'm a huge fan like a humongous fan but where miyazaki is the walt disney of japan this movie is the is is maybe like the don bluth you know what i mean like this movie is is right there yeah yeah and it's funny too because um they have a like don bluth films and this film have a similar thread through in that they are Generally speaking, at least in the beginning, I'm thinking of Secret of Nim specifically. They're darker, you know. Secret of Nim is still yeah. ultimately for kids, um, probably like eight to, to twelve, right? But like this film is for adults. There's no question about it. This is never for children ever, um, right? Which is also a weird thing for 1988, a cartoon for children. I mean, Heavy Metal, I believe, had come out prior mm-hmm. to this, um, and and other anime films existed, but this was like, as, as we said, it's taken up to another notch. This is like taking it up to 11 as far as the care um, care and the art part of it. Now, I've, I've got a lot of beefs with other aspects of this movie. Um, I don't know if you want to get into that right now. Is there anything on the plot that I didn't mention that you think I should we should have hit? It's kind of hard because I want to go. I want to go really deep on a couple of plot points that sort of lean towards a theme situation, okay. right? Um, like the like you were talking about the idea at the end of the movie. Um, and, and I would say that the second act of this movie, we can talk about this in the beefs. The second act of this movie is rough. Oh, it is good lord, it is yeah. fast. It is hard to follow. Like, look, while while this may be one of my favorite pieces of art ever created, let alone favorite films, I recognize as a film there are problems. Um, 
having read the manga, it it makes it a lot easier to forgive this shit. But that's a that's a big ask mm-hmm. of of someone to be like sit here for two hours. By the way, it's a fucking two hour long movie. Yeah, sit here for two hours and watch this, and then also here's two thousand one hundred plus pages <laughs> of shit to look through. You know, um, so the second act, whatever, we can get into that. But in the third act, that scene where um, Kaneda is grabbing the singularity um, composed of Akira and Tetsuo and Takeshi and all, all the, all the Esper children. Right. And when he's grabbing that and he sort of, he closes his hands around it and sort of internalizes it. And there's this moment where like, uh, like you said, like he's crying and he's kind of come to terms with the fact that he lost his friend and everything. I have not read this anywhere. This is my own, like, just like I, I took an English one Oh one class kind of fucking <laughs> situation, but like, right. Uh, it's, it's what it's the payoff of this entire underlying theme that God, maybe not as a spiritual Judeo-Christian Abrahamic or even like a Shinto type thing, but God, the the underlying presence of the universe is within man, hmm. right? And it's this very interesting thing that like they've all sort of come together in one way. They've gone to create their own universe and, and or, or their own alternate reality or whatever it may be. Um, and sort of the symbolism of... Uh, Kanada closing his hands around this and internalizing this thing, I think was just really cool. Like I was watching it today and I was like, damn, that's really neat. Also, I haven't really slept a lot in the past few days. So like maybe <laughs> I'm reading more into it than I should, but I don't know. I thought it was cool. I always um, think of Watchmen at the mm-hmm. end of this film, especially the third act. It's very much that I'm doing terrible things for the right reasons, kind of in a way. I mean, except for Tetsu is an asshole, so not really. Well, and also... Pause that for just one second. There are no heroes in this movie. No, maybe no one. maybe Kay kind of, but she's a terrorist. Like there are no heroes in this movie. Mm. There, everyone in this movie is bad. Like Kanada, the guy on the fucking cover, the guy with the bike, the guy who like sort of is like fighting, you know, an end time battle against this god being, is still a violent criminal, like a violent sociopath. Well, not only that, but like it, he's this all results in a little brother, big brother bully fight you know but not only is it a fight he's trying to kill him Kanada is trying to kill tetsuo like i don't really care oh yeah and it's even more so in the manga like he literally is like no i'm gonna go kill this motherfucker yeah which is weird because they're still friends you know like it's very obvious that like it feels very tarantino in that way right it is. like yeah yeah you know what i, I guarantee you that Tarantino loves Akira. I guarantee it. There's not a question. Uh, yeah, there's there's no way he doesn't. Yeah, Kanye West's favorite movie in the entire world is Akira, dude. <laughs> like I just. Yeah, I mean, I got I have a I have a speech about Kanye West coming soon. Okay, well, let's talk about. I, I want to get this talk about the dub out of the way because it's my biggest problem with this movie, and that is that the dub sucks. It is so bad, like. If you want to talk about tropes and like and and especially like stereotypes of anime fans, when when people in the early nineties and and would, would think of Japanimation, quote unquote, and say that word, the the tone of their voice was dismissive, and like basically like oh you like that childish stuff. And the reason, in my opinion, that it is, I mean, half of it is that it is animation in general and that is viewed as a childish thing, which I. Hundred percent disagree with, but the other part of the problem is the dubs in a lot of you know um, uh, anime that came over prior to yeah. 
really like the early 2000s was atrocious. There was no care. There was no concern. There was no respect for telling a good story because the story is there, you know, but but a lot of times the, the dubs were just half-assed. I don't know how else to say it. In, in a lot of cases, and I will talk on this point with you here, in a lot of cases, though, um, when you look at that second wave of Eastern shit coming over here, right, you're talking about, like, like I said, a thousand times over already, Akira sort of paved the way for that. But also, like, writing directly behind that was Ghost in the Shell, Fist of the North Star, uh, Ninja Scroll, like, all that shit, all that dope-ass 80s anime. But the reason a lot of it is... Uh, the production quality is looked down upon is because those movies that I just listed, that's two nights of your time from fucking Hollywood video. You know what I mean? You can go, you can rent all those things. You and your buddies can watch those in one night or two nights, depending on what night it is. And then you're done with the good anime. Right. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Then, like, then you're going through and you're watching weirder shit. You're watching more low budget shit. Now, when it comes to bad production quality on the dub side um, and on the sort of the, the westernization of it, look at it the same way. And I know this came afterwards and, by the way, due in no small part to this movie. Look at the Power Rangers. Look at what Tokusatsu was and Sentai was in Japan versus what Haim Saban brought over here. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like... When you even, you know, ignore what Power Rangers is with Tommy and Kimberly and all the, you know, all the, all the people, all the actors, look at what they did with those scenes that came over from Japan, right? These people are striking moves and doing cool things. And this was made for children. So it was supposed to be a little childish, but they're striking poses and doing these things. And in Sentai, they're actually furthering a story. In Power Rangers, they just say things like more phenomenal because they needed to fill that two and a half seconds of animation with voice. You know what I mean? Um, and it's the same thing with a lot of anime. They try to, somebody at some point in time has to love this project to work on it, right? Like it's not entirely a capitalistic money-making scheme, but also at the end of the day, a lot of it's just like, look, we're not going to pay an expert in Japanese, not just language, but history, because you need to understand idioms and jokes and, and meaning and theme, uh, especially in something like some, some of the more heady anime like Ghost in the Shell or Akira. You don't want to pay a fucking expert in this shit in 1988, which who is that, by the way, in America? There aren't that doesn't exist. Yeah, you know what I mean? not really. No, so I, production gets. I understand why production it gets happened. gross. You know, I understand why it happened. I just it it's a problem because the ideas in this it film is. are not conveyed across properly. The the there's lots of details. There's lots of there's lots of nuance that's completely lost and and just story exposition stuff that you just don't get it's a hard watch yeah. even even now which is sad i mean unless you get i think i haven't seen the full um redub done by i believe that was um pioneer so pioneer did a redub in 2001 i was watching the original 1989 uh one by mm, streamline with my with my boy cam clark yes which and i like cam clark i do too yeah, I mean, it was really funny. I was listening. Cause he, he was Raphael, right? He was Ninja Turtle. He was Leonardo. Leonardo. Okay, sorry. My bad. He was a Ninja Turtle. And I heard that and I was like, I know that voice. I love that voice. That's a Ninja Turtle. And, uh, you know who else he was? Huh. Liquid Snake. That's right. Yes. No, he's a great <laughs> voice actor. And I'm like, it's kind of wasted. 
you know, in a way, because he's not getting anything across to the layperson. Like, I want more people to like Akira. Mm-hmm. And I think that the streamline dub makes that a lot harder of a sell. It does. And the big reason behind that is what I mentioned earlier was the sort of um, it's the fact that the source material is so large and was not done before this movie was. Uh, this movie ends with the battle in the Tokyo Stadium, right? And then, uh, you know, uh, Kaneda and, and uh, what's her name? Oh, my God. Kay. Uh, you know, and, and, and company, the gang, ride off sort of into the sunset to an un, you know un, uncertain future, I guess. Uh, but in the manga, that's, that's like the end of book one to like the, the first like quarter of book two, there are six more books like Lord Akiba rises and becomes a fucking problem. And all of Neo Tokyo, this death cult surrounding Akira, like, like rises to power and kids are fucking doing drugs in the streets. They're all surviving on these pills that like fucking increase their psychic power. And all. like, it, it gets crazy. Um, and a lot of that's missing. That's I think why the second act of this movie is not great. It's very rushed, and they and they try even in the sub, like they really try to break as much of that down as possible and and forward that story along, and give you these little tidbits of information. But entire characters, like the old lady, uh, which I think in the eighty nine version they gave a they made into a man, um, but the old lady, the old doomsday cult lady, yeah, for the cult a, of Akira, it's a man. But, yeah. yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a man in the original one. Um, well, in the uh, or in the in the original dub rather, in the sub, and I think in the redub from two thousand and one, but also in the manga, it's a woman who is also an esper who has escaped, who is leading this cult of Akira, and she becomes like a, she has like a whole like a humongous storyline, and in here she gets two scenes and then she gets destroyed by a car, you know, um, so like there are a lot of missteps with that shit, but. I don't know, man. Have you have you seen? You said you took a look at both dubs, right? Yeah, I did a uh, watched a comparison video. Okay, let's talk about it. Which I prefer the subtitled version. I think most I think most like fans of this movie probably do. Um, I think if you watch foreign movies, watching it with subtitles is the best way to do things, right? Especially animated movies. Um, <sighs> which dub do you like better? Um, I like the Pioneer dub. I think there's something that they do where when a character stops talking, but uh, but it's a cutaway, they will continue right. to have that character talk and they'll add lines in to kind of fill out the exposition um, as needed. And, and, you know, it's not every time, but when it's appropriate, you know. Mm. Have... Uh, okay. I, I have, I will be say I have never seen the subtitled version and that's just, Oh really? Yeah. I, I need to, it's, I realize that, um, it's not because I, I didn't want to, it's just, it hasn't been available to me. Yeah. Uh, Hulu.com, my guy or Funimation. Um, your cool uncle can give you a login. Um, so <laughs> I will say I, on paper, academically sort of, I guess, like, I'm inclined to agree that the 2001 dub is better. Um, also, another weird tie-in to sort of the Sentai and Power Rangers thing. Johnny Young Bosch was Kaneda in uh, the redub, and he was the Black Ranger in Mighty Morphin Power Rangers after Zack left. Oh, funny. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but no, I think that 
I mean, he was nominated. He didn't win them, but he was nominated for several awards um, for his performance as Kanada. Like, that's that's pretty cool. Uh, I think that version is better. I think I, empirically, I think I think it's just a better movie. Um, I think that that audio track really, really helps further what that movie is. However, I still like the original dub better because I think that's just what I saw. I've probably seen the original dub maybe like eight times or something like that. And I've seen, uh, I bought the 2001 dub shortly after it came out from a mail order magazine, by the way. I bought it from a mail order anime catalog. What was that like, Grandpa? Uh, Well, you used to be able to um, buy these things called stamps, and they were just pieces of paper that people pretended were worth money. Uh, (laughs) You know, like all paper. Um, No, I, I bought that. I think I watched it maybe like, I watched it when it came in. I've probably seen it once or twice since then, but like, it's not. It's not my movie. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's not what I watched growing up, I guess. Um, it's got Steve Bloom in it as a throwaway extra at some point, which is really cool. Like, that, like that's neat. You know, I, I don't know. I like it. I'm glad that it's there. I'm glad they did it. And in fact, I would, I would really like to see this movie, like, completely redone. Um, not animation ground up, but... Uh, get the full treatment. You know what I mean. Get a, get an all star real cast in there. Uh, people who understand the source material. You know, get Keanu Reeves in there to play fucking Tetsuo. Let's do this. Wow, that would be interesting. I I there have been like attempts to try to uh, to get a live action one going. I've seen some like fan made trailers and stuff, and mm-hmm. try to drum up some interest. But have you watched the? Did you see that fan movie? That fan, well, fan movie. It's sh- it's a short film. Have you seen? I've seen that? clips of it. It's really good, dude. For for a thing that, you know, to to sort of throw it away, but for a thing that, like, some people made in a basement, essentially, like, it is fucking really good. Um, I don't think we'll ever see a movie. Not a good one, at least. I don't think we'll ever see a live-action film. No, I think that um, that's probably for the better, you know? It's been, it's been in talks for, you know, 20-something years now. Um, people have been assigned to it. They've been unassigned to it. Studios have picked it up. Studios have dropped it. I think right now, I think Leonardo DiCaprio actually owns the rights to a live action Akira movie. Hmm. I'm fairly certain he's the one holding that shit right now. Um, but I don't think it'll ever happen because I think that the budget you would need to make this good and to tell that story. I think it's a, I think it's a Dune situation. Right. I think you really need, I think you need a five hour movie. I have an interesting thought. What if it was turned into a like a Netflix mini series, yeah, a fucking HBO series, like an anime? Well, no, what like just an anime series in general, not not live action necessarily, but like straight up. Let's do the the manga from beginning to end. Give it a give it a uh, Netflix Castlevania treatment, but actually put the episodes out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we're <laughs> still cool. waiting on that second season. Um, yeah, yeah. No, that would that would be that would be a good direction for it. I think. Um, you know, people are, this movie is so important and influential that people are like chomping at the bit to work on something associated with it. You know what I mean? Like there are people out there who are incredibly talented, who would love a chance at this movie, but I, I just don't know that you can do it. You know what I mean? How do you remake Cinderella? You know? Oh, Disney will do it. They're doing everything live action these days. So yeah, it's fucking true. A Dumbo trailer dropped today. Not to date this episode, but, uh. I want more elephants in movies. They're they're good animals. Yeah. Actually, I want, you know, because of that, because they're good animals, I actually kind of want less elephants in movies <laughs> now that I think about it. But go on. What do you think 
makes this movie so beloved other than the I mean, this is obviously like the shrine of Japanese animation to put it. I haven't actually thought of that to put it in words. I think it's a combination of things. One would be sort of the cultural zeitgeist around the time that it came out and around the time that people would have seen this in the West. Right. Like I can't really speak for the experience um, from like a, from like an Eastern perspective. Right. Um, the idea in Japan is like this movie came out in theaters, dude. Like, you know what I mean? And it, and it was like it was a big deal and people loved it. Um, that didn't happen here. Akira is one of those weird things that you, um, you know, when you're 13, you invite your friend over and you're like, do you want to see him? You want to see a fucking cool movie that your parents aren't going to let you watch at home? You know? Yeah. Um, I definitely very didn't much see this in my house. I saw it at a friend's house. So, yeah, I feel like most people did, you know, um, this movie feels like something that exists out of time, like in, in a, in a weird way. It definitely feels like a movie that was animated in the 80s, but like with that master class, with that master's hand of of humanity and, and artistic touch that can only come from an analog source, right? But then there's also that kind of like the setting being near future, but not entirely like unrealistic, um, you know, sort of the dark dismal thing that was really, like I said, that postmodern paranoia that comes around in the late 80s to the 90s. Like I think that this movie had it come out in the 70s or had it come out in 2005 i don't think would have been nearly as important even like the exact same movie and imagine no movie had been influenced like imagine the matrix hadn't come out right right i still don't think if it had come out in either of those times i don't think that this movie would have done what it did i think it had to happen in the late 80s and i think the west had to get popularly their hands on it throughout the early 90s throughout the grunge movement throughout all of that shit when everybody was absolutely convinced that the world was against us yeah it's interesting that you say that because like it does have this like gritty and and it's mostly well it's just due to the whole nature of the film it's this gritty grimy grungy um gross and it, and it gets even grosser as we go along like just this movie is body horror incarnate by the right, way Right, yeah basically it kind of invented the body horror genre in a way or at least really took it to another level uh, that last scene with with Tetsuo morphing as his body goes out of control because he cannot, you know, contain the power within him is horrifying. Even today, it is. You can't get those images out of your head. It's a lot, man. I actually, the one image that really gets me in that movie um, is when he's hallucinating, when Tetsuo is hallucinating towards the beginning of the movie, I guess. Uh, when he's hallucinating and his, his guts, guts fall fought. out of his body yeah. and he's trying to like put him back in and he's like, He's very obviously hallucinating because you you get that sort of cutaway where you see him from his point of view, his guts fall out. But then you see people watching him and he's just like scraping these invisible guts and trying to shove them back in his body. And it's just like, damn, yo. (laughs) Well, the way they do that, um, where they first show all the guts coming out and then they cut away to above him. Um, or just slightly angled above him and you can see him lift his body up like the like the attention to detail with how somebody would like go from a you know all, all hands like a hands on the floor position push himself up just slightly so their back is now engaged and then literally grabbing at at nothing you know he thinks he's grabbing at something and shoving right. it back into oneself is horrifying to think about because there's a desperation there's a quickness there's the muscles that you don't see underneath working at a rapid pace because 
he thinks he's going to die, you know? Yeah, he thinks he's been eviscerated, which is a, hey, fucking spoilers, have you ever seen a person get eviscerated? That's a reaction they have. It's, it is insane. Yeah, I don't know, man. It's like, this movie's so very important because without it, we don't get like, there's a very real chance that we don't get most of the modern sci-fi and, 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 and modern anime that we have now, like most of it without Akira coming over here and doing gangbusters, like would ghost in the shell have done it for us then? I don't think so. I think ghost in the shell, as much as I love that movie, I think is a, is a much weaker film, a much, much weaker film. Um, there's a lot of cool shit in there and it is one of my favorite, uh, anime films for sure. But I think it's much weaker. I don't think it would have done what Akira did for us. I don't think that fucking Ninja Scroll still didn't do it. Because you know what? The only people who know what Ninja Scroll is are people who were anime fans in the 90s. Oh, yeah. You have to be... Well, there's a reason for that, too. Like, I, you, you, I mean... Hey, yo, you're not going to go to a high school and say, Oh, you like anime? Have you ever seen Ninja Scroll? They're going to have no fucking clue what you're talking about. Well, not about. only that, but like once they find out what it is, it'd be like, Oh, you're a pervert. You know? Mm-hmm. And guess what? I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, back then, though, that was a real thing. You know, the other part of the stigma other than, you know, uh, animations for kids and, and, you know, the, the dubs are really bad is that these are adult films a lot in a lot of cases, hentai yeah. and, and whatnot. There's a situation of. I want to talk about this because I don't know that we're going to get I mean, we can it can always be talked about in any anime episode, but I think it's important to bring out the idea that sexuality in the East Sexuality in the West, as well as biology in the East and the West, are two very, very, very different things. Mm -hmm. When you watch Ninja Scroll, or when you watch Akira, and you're like, man, that's like, I can't believe they showed tits in that movie, in this animated movie. That's perverted. When you watch Ninja Scroll, and you're like, oh, look at all the titty bounce and all that blah, 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 blah. And it's like, things aren't stigmatized the way they are over here, over there. You know what I mean? It's it's, it's entirely different cultures. Sexuality and shit is handled differently over there. Um a lot of people who aren't familiar with Japanese culture would be surprised to learn that they are very prude. They are very prude people, mm-hmm. uh, especially when it comes to the rigidity of of sort of the, the the mating cycle and the mating ritual. Like they are a very prude people. Yeah. However, you, if you see their mating dances, they, you know they they jump side to side. They get very colorful plumage. Um, you know, it's this is borderline <laughs> racist at this point. <laughs> um, no, but they're they're uh. Their ideas of sexuality are far different from ours, and their idea of separating life from fiction is an interesting concept because while the outward personification, the realism of sexuality is one thing in their culture, recognizing that you can be into weird shit and as long as it's drawn, it's okay is is pretty cool, I think. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, dude, draw draw titties and fucking whatever else and that and like that's great because you're not out there harassing other people. Is the way I see it. I mean, I, look, I'm no expert on Japanese culture, so hmm. I may be grossly misreading this. But as I understand it, that's kind of how it works. And honestly, I think that's fucking better. Instead of shaming the idea of titties, because, it, like, you can't even fucking breastfeed in the United States. And maybe that's a discussion for a different time, but I'm just saying, like, that's fucking crazy. Oh, I'm, you know? I'm, I'm on board. I mean, I'm all for, like, having a place for adults to see adult things and... and Adults making those, you know, with the decisions for their children of when they can see those things, I'm 100% on board. So, like, I think that the the stigma that I'm talking about is completely undeserved. It's just that it's what I grew up with. And so it's what sure. I relate to. And, and I think a lot of people did, too, because the puritanical um, 
uh, veins, the themes in, in this country are deeply rooted. Um, oh, hell yeah. For a lot of people. Not for everybody, but for a lot of people. No, I mean, and, and you're right. And I mean, even look, I don't watch a lot of lewd anime. You know what I mean? Like, I really don't. And there's a fucking lot of it out there. And I, I look at a lot of it these days as kind of like, you're really just, it's a pandering thing, right? It's kind of like, I know who's buying anime. I know who's watching anime. You know what I mean? And those people want to see this thing. And that's fine. Um, there's no shame in it. I don't, I don't, I don't shame anyone. I don't think anyone should be ashamed. But also, um, it's so deep in it that even my counterculture ass is kind of like every once in a while I'll see some anime ass shit and be like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> fucking hold the fucking phone here. Everybody has a line, you know, and it's just different. For, yeah. For people. Yeah. So what's next, man? I mean, I guess we could talk some brief production stuff. I don't really like to get in the weeds on this shit. Um, and we've sort of touched a lot of the points. I think a few things we haven't brought up is that like this movie came to be because the manga was so good that seven Zaibatsus, seven mega corporations got together and were like, no, you should really make this into a film being uh, Kodansha. Uh, I'm going to br- brutalize these names. Uh, Mainichi Broadcasting Systems, Bandai, Hakuhodo, Toho. Toho, by the way, famous for uh, like literally every kaiju Godzilla film. Mm-hmm. Also Tokusatsu and Sentai. Um, and also Laserdisc Corporation and Sumitomo Corporation. Like a huge, these names probably mean almost nothing to anyone listening to this show, but this is a huge endeavor. This is like if Sony... Microsoft, probably pre-Xbox, imagine like in the 80s, if like Sony, Microsoft, Toyota, <laughs> and like and like Walt Disney all just kind of like grab together and, and throw a toy company in there maybe. Hasbro. Uh, and, yeah, and Hasbro. And they all just were like, what if we just made a fucking super movie? Well, you yeah, know? and not only that, but they took like some comic that was an indie comic, you know, or mm-hmm. or just like a Vertigo, something on Vertigo imprint. They took the Invisibles. Yeah. And actually, that's, that's, a, yeah. that's a really good analogy. Or Transmetropolitan. They took one of those and said, you have to make this into a film. We we will Here's money. Just we're throwing it at you. Make this into a movie. Yeah. I mean, literally. Like, the budget for this movie was unfucking real At $10 million US at the time, by the way. Um, or, you know, a little over 1.1 billion yen. I mean, it's... It's fucking unreal. Um, you know, they used more animation cells than any movie that had ever been created at the time. They used double the amount of um, frames than most movies, most animated movies had ever done. Like, this shit, it, it, it just it broke the idea of what an animated movie could be. When people saw this, it was like, it was like, you guys remember when Avatar came out? Uh, I still haven't seen that movie, but... Don't. The talk around what that movie was and people being like, Whoa, man, like fucking 3d fucking CGI and, and, and fucking 3d movies. And also like the way that movie swept up everyone in sort of Western culture, this is what happened with Akira. Like what avatar did not just for fucking James Cameron. How did the man who gave us Terminator give us that fucking movie? I don't know. It's look, I'll go on and on. All I'm saying is, this movie 
really, really change shit for people. I thought you were talking about the uh, M. Night Shyamalan one. That's why I said don't see it. Actually, Avatar, the James Cameron film, isn't too bad. Oh, okay. Well, unobtainium. Anyway. <laughs> well, yeah, that um, works for sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, whatever, man. Space Fern Gully. Good luck. Uh, tidbits. Do you have any like um? Do you have any like trivia or like production or otherwise or anything like that you want to kind of throw out here? Because we're running uh, a little over an hour at this point. Yeah. No. I mean, the only thing that I thought was interesting is just that this movie made me feel like I said earlier, like watching a Darren Aronofsky movie. Like it felt very um, Black Swanish. You know, like it just mm-hmm. it reeked of his work and then i did a little digging and sure enough um he like bought another anime uh rights i think it was blue blue velvet or something like that or blue orchids um it's, it was one i never heard of before but apparently is is relatively well known um mid 80s anime and he bought the rights to that film so that he could remake a scene in um requiem for a dream directly from the anime hold the fuck on perfect blue yeah perfect blue thank you Holy shit! I did. I didn't know that. Oh god damn! That movie is fucked up. Requiem for a Dream. Jesus Christ. Very much so. And so you know, it was it was this weird like full circle thing of like you know this reminds me of Darren Aronofsky. Let me look in Darren Aronofsky if he likes anime. Oh, he bought rights to an anime to re- remake a scene in Requiem for a Dream. Oh my god, he really likes anime a lot. You know, like it's just, <laughs> oh my god, he's a fucking super anime fan, a legitimate anime fan. You know. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure he really digs Akira. I'm sure it's one of his top films. Uh, speaking of famous people who like this movie, look, it's a bad time to talk about Kanye West. Yeah, I mean, he did say some really um, not good stuff recently. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I will say this, though. <sighs> Controversial. Because I know a lot of our fans are like, fucking 30-something white guys. I know a lot of the people who listen to the show personally because I think there are about seven of you. I know a lot of you are not hip-hop fans, and if you are, it's very casual. I know that. And I know a lot of you are not Kanye West fans because it's so so easy to hate that man. I have a sort of undulating, wavy relationship with Kanye West. I think Kanye West is like a is like a corporate David Bowie. I think he I think he I think he's a David Bowie for the modern age in that he goes through phases. In 35 years we're going to talk about the 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 Berlin years of Kanye West. You know what I mean? Being I think some more early Kanye West shit, some more like, you know, uh 2000 2004 to 2009 kind of shit. Uh but the point is I bring up your boy Kanye, your boy Yeezy, Yeezus himself. Because he's a fucking huge fan of this movie. Like one of the biggest fans, I would say, as far as like celebrity folk go. Um, I shared a tweet with Caleb earlier from 2011 where he said, No way Spirited, Spirited Away is better than Akira. No way. Sorry. Which is looking at a YouTube top anime films, which, by the way, <laughs> Kanye West, thank you for fucking doing this. He has cited in a separate tweet at some point, he, uh, he said, uh, What was it? Oh my god, I'm going to lose it now and I don't remember what it was. He cited Akira as one of his favorite films at, uh, tied with something else. It was uh, There Will Be Blood. Or, he said, Akira and There Will Be Blood are equally my two favorite movies of all time in 2015. There Will Be Blood is an excellent movie. Mm-hmm. That's a yeah. Paul Thomas Rem- Anderson remember, movie. Remember when he said he would drink your milkshake? Yep, I do. Yep. Good line. <laughs> 
Uh, it was, it was a very good line. Um, but the reason I bring this up is because if you want to see the crossover, an unlikely crossover in, in sort of like white pop culture mind. Um, so a lot of, a lot of folks, okay, man, I'm going to get, I'm going to get here as we close out. This is my non sequitur closing situation. I feel like even in 2018, people don't realize that black people really fucking like anime. Okay. I feel like I knew that. I know that. I know. I know. I know you do, but you, you are, you are what the kids call woke in a lot of ways. All right. I'll take that as a compliment. I mean, I may have been yeah, invited yeah, yeah, to, yeah. Uh, to a cookout now and then. I don't know. Oh, shit. <laughs> so all I'm saying is it is a lot of times when you find out, like uh, there's been, this, there's been this theme in the past few years of people finding out, especially in hip hop that, um, artists uh hip-hop artists are interested in anime at all right and it's like dude of fucking course they are they went to the same public vince staples went to the same public schools that you did you know what i mean like he he lived in the same time period in the same fucking country you did like of course they're the fucking dragon ball z and shit you dumbass so there's a lot of people who like they're surprised to hear this shit like oh i can't believe vince staples likes fucking Fortnite, and it's like of, of course he does you idiot kanye west huge fan of akira the reason i bring it up if you've ever seen the video for Stronger from 2007, uh, this was the famous Daft Punk and Kanye crossover, uh, Daft Punk's crossover uh, collaboration from their 2007 Alive tour. Whatever your opinions of Kanye West are, whatever your opinions of hip-hop are, I, I believe that this is an unassailable pop track. This is an unassailable thing that you cannot possibly say is a bad thing. It may not be your thing, but I don't think you can say it's a bad thing. Point is, the music video for this is literally just Kanye West in Tokyo and then also split with like interspliced actual 100% recreated scenes as Con- with Kanye West as Tetsuo from Akira. Like... <laughs> To the point that like he's in he's in a fucking like a medical facility with like the things like surrounding like the the super sci-fi like MRI machine like swirling around him and he's like walking down the hallway as people are shooting at him and he's like using psychic powers and shit like it's bonkers. It's the craziest thing. It might be one of the craziest rap videos that exist because Daft Punk is in it and also Akira <laughs> It's to come from arguably one of the most successful hip hop artists of all time. I think that is like sort of the perfect strange and long-winded. But I think that is one of the most perfect capstones you can place on the importance of this movie is that Kanye West in one of his most popular songs, along with Daft Punk, one of the most popular artists of modern times literally made a music video where they recreated poorly scenes from Akira on purpose without disguising it at all. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I can't, I can't argue with that because I'm not a huge hip hop fan, but you show me this video and I knew this, I knew this song right away um heard it many times like it and yeah that video is crazy all i'm saying is this movie uh has been cited as a direct influence in a ton of shit like we've already mentioned a lot of it uh the matrix you know etc etc all the way down the line but like this movie is so important that kanye west made a fucking music video about it with daft punk you got a chance to work with daft punk at the height of your career, at the, you know, at the time, this guy's like more fucking popular than fucking sliced bread. You know what I mean? And he chose to do this on purpose. Oh, I'm sure they're I'm just saying. I'm sure they're huge fans of Akira yeah, as yeah, well. Yeah. So it was like, yeah, no, let's do that. Definitely. Yeah, for sure. And so it's, you know, it's 
this is one of the most this is the citizen kane of animes you know what i mean like like this is this is the this is a incredibly important film that maybe isn't the best thing to view the first time you watch it it's maybe not the best thing to view if you don't know the, the cultural significance or if you don't know about the manga or if you've never read it etc etc it's heady it's hard to get into it's hard to watch but it is it is fucking important and if you are even a casual if you fucking if you like cowboy bebop or Dragon Ball Z, or fucking One Piece, or Naruto, or whatever else. Some mundane-ass, mainstream-ass anime. I think you should do yourself the favor watching this movie. I agree. It's it's kind of a must-watch. If you, if you claim to love anime, you need to watch this at least three times. Yeah, I would, I would say, I would say, and, and maybe not back-to-back. Give yourself time to ruminate on it. Do it like an album. You know what I'm saying? You get a new album. You listen to it once through. I mean, I don't know. This is what I do. You listen to it once through. I'm. I tend to pick up on like melody and beat first. So I'm like, okay, cool. I do that, and then I'll go through and I'll focus on lyric a little bit more, and then I'll go through and listen to the whole thing at some other point. I give myself about a day or two between, and you get to form a real opinion of it. You know what I mean? I think you need to watch this movie once every three to five years. We yeah. set the table. You yeah. Look through new, fresh eyes. You know. Yep. So. With that being said, I have actually a lot more that I want to say about this movie. Um, But I'll save that. And maybe if you want to discuss this movie, if you want to discuss any points, opinions, or anything else, you hit us up and let us know. Um, Because we're running a little bit long, and I I don't want to keep you guys here all night. Because I I, I feel like I could actually do like a three-hour show on this. (laughs) With all that being said, we're going to close it out here. Thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for bearing with me. Uh, and also thank you to the Ninja Pancake Network for hosting us, for putting up with our shit. Thank you to Remy. My God, what a man, right? Indeed. What a man. Um, if you like this show, if you like nerd culture, if you like video games especially, we have a lot of video game shows on the network, um, go over there and check it out. There's a bunch of different shows. There's My Morning Coffee, Loot Shoot, Lane, uh, you know, whatever. There's a bunch of shit over there. Go check if it out. If you're into The Division. Which is hot right now, I hear. Uh, on, on account on account of it's technically E3 as we're talking. Yeah. So and there's a sequel coming out. Then you should listen to Bombshell Jackets because Remy and Tinks are there right now. Mm-hmm. If you're into that? Check it out. It looks pretty good. Yeah. Hey, as a as your resident, as I said before, as your resident uh, Washington D.C. correspondent, I can tell you that the Division Two is probably going to be okay. Yeah. So. Go check those shows out, et cetera, et cetera. You know the deal. Uh, thanks to Speaker Freaks. You heard their theme song, or you heard our theme song uh, that they created at the beginning of the show here. Go check them out, speakerfreaks.com, S-P-E-K-R-F-R-E-K-S.com. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, I would encourage you to email us. It's probably the best way because it's long form. Uh, that would be podcast at geeksquatch.com. But if you'd rather get something short, quick in, uh, hit us up on Twitter. That's the easiest way. You you can also like to respond sort of directly to uh, posts that we make on Twitter, but also like po- you know the the uh, if you subscribe to us on there, you can see when the shows come out and etc. Uh, that is at Geek Squatch Pod. Personally, you'll find me at W A Hirsch, and you'll find Caleb now at It Resolves on Twitter. He has he has changed it over. Um, I believe if you're already following him, you should still be following him, right? right. I think nothing, you did that swap a Rooney. Yeah, so. nothing changed. Just the handle changed, but all my followers stayed the same. So if you're looking at your timeline, you're like, who's this It Resolves guy? Oh, it's Caleb. That's me. 
I did that because that's kind of where my brand is everywhere else. And that's the one thing I hadn't switched over. So that is now switched. And if you know what that means. You are unified. Yeah. If you know what resolving means, then you know everything resolves eventually. Absolutely everything. So that's it. That's us. We've done it. This was Akira. This was the beginning of the summer of anime. Uh, Thanks a lot. I guess we'll see you next time. We should do our best um, Tetsuo and Kanada impressions now, I think, would be appropriate. All right. Who do you want to uh, yell? I will yell Kanada. I think I'm better at that. Okay. I'm going to peek this mic out real bad. It's going to be bad to edit. <laughs> Tetsuo! Kanada! Tetsuo! Kanada! Tetsuo! 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 Tetsuo!